0: Good morning. You guys are starting to slant this way on me a little bit. And I'm telling you, that second service, they slant this way on me a little bit, and it just really kind of imbalances me. Claudia, you're going to have to not take it personally if I'm talking this way a lot, okay? It's all right? Okay, good, good. This weekend was uh, TNT at our church which I believe stands for Top Nazarene Talent. Do I have that right? Top Nazarene Talent. See, I'm still learning how to be on the region, okay? Top Nazarene Talent. And I was lucky enough to judge uh, drama things. And so one of the funniest things I saw, and it leads well into the sermon today, was this one skit that some church did. I can't even remember what church it was now, called You Might Be a Pharisee If... Well, there's a few uncomfortable laughs out there over that one. You're probably glad you didn't see it. You never know if maybe you're the Pharisee. Oh, no. You might be a Pharisee if. And, and, and I remember the very first one was uh, this person came into church and sat down. And another person came up to them and said, oh, you can't sit there. That's my seat. Yeah. And then they brought him. the person sat in the seat right before, and they said, well, you can't sit there because Sister Mildred sits there. And eventually they found a nice cozy seat for them behind a plant on the other side of the sanctuary. You you know, it sort of had the idea. You get the idea, right? It was one skit after another, four or five examples of how you might be a Pharisee. If you... If you uh, gossip about people instead of talking with them, you know, these sort of concepts or whatever. It was kind of a, a funny way, and it was done by the skit guys, if you've ever seen them. They've got sort of a poignant way with humor of pointing you in a better direction in church. But it was, it was a funny skit, and the kids did well, and it was enjoyable to watch. But it got me thinking a little bit about what I was talking, what I'm going to talk about my, for my sermon today. Uh, we're going to talk about discipleship, about spurring one, one another on towards faith. And the old Pharisee way, has sort of crept back into the church a little bit. You see, the Pharisee way of spurring people on towards holiness is to tell them they've got it all wrong. That's when you might be a Pharisee, is if you're so legalistic and you are so sure in your mind who God is and what God wants you to do, that you go and tell everyone else what it is that God wants them to do. That's what the Pharisees did. They reached the level of Pharisee and they wandered the streets of Israel telling people where they didn't live up, what they did wrong, how they got it incorrect, how they were not honoring God. And they wagged their finger a lot, thinking that if you wagged the finger enough in people's faces, eventually they would get it and they would do it right. Now, I've been a teenager recently enough to remember what getting my finger wagged in my face meant. It meant whatever they their, their finger in my face about was the exact opposite of what I was about to do. Alright, do you remember back far enough to being a teenager? Remember, you get that finger wagging in your face and what do you do? The exact opposite. The exact opposite. And here, so many of us aren't teenagers anymore. That's okay. But a lot of us, let's be honest, are still teenagers in our faith. We haven't matured as far as we plan on maturing in our faith. We have a distance to go. We have more to learn. We have more of God that we want to pour out into our lives so that we can step further on the plane. And so when people go all Pharisee on us and start wagging the figure at us, we have a tendency to not want to do that. So what's the biblical model then? We all know in here, every one of us have read the Bible enough to know that the Pharisees are the bad guys, right? Anyone ever on team Pharisee in here? Okay, this is good. This is, oh, Leo. Well, we're going to start a new Sunday school class just for you, okay? We'll put the dunce cap on your head, and we'll just wag the finger at you, all right? See, now you threw me off, Leo. Now I don't remember where I was going with this. I knew he, He's going to do this to me at least twice a year, I bet. Leo, you're lucky that we're friends. Oh, goodness, he really did throw me off, though, I promise. None of us play for Team Pharisee, that's what I was saying. None of us play for Team Pharisee. None of us want to. So what's the biblical model? After Jesus sort of encounters the Pharisee and they move on, what is the biblical model for spurring one another on? We know from the Pharisees and we know from experience that running around wagging the finger and telling people to do things differently is ineffective. It's ineffective. So what's the biblical model? And I would say that the biblical model is discipleship. Particularly, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 10 today. We're going to read verses 19 through 25, and we're going to sort of compare what the author of Hebrews is telling us to do in the Christian faith versus wagging the finger in people's faces, telling them that they're not measuring up, telling them that they need to do better, telling them how to live, telling them where to be, where to go, what to do. What is the difference here versus that? We're going to start with verse 19 again in Hebrews chapter 10. The words are on the screen above my shoulder. Many of you are moving there in your Bibles. As you find it, would you stand with me in the honor of reading the Scripture this morning? Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more, as you see the day approaching, you may be seated. Now, how many of you read that and you see finger-waving as the idea that that the, uh, the author of Hebrews wants us to go through? It's not there. It's about spurring one another on, meeting together, living life together, getting to know one another, talking things out with each other. It's about having relationship with people. And when you have relationship with people, you're able to speak into their lives and build them up. There's a couple things I want to talk about, about building up real fast, and I'm going to sort of point us around the sanctuary, if that's all right. First of all, I made mention just real fast that uh, Ray is here, and I don't want to make a big stink about this, but Ray's lost his wife, Anne, this week. And this week, there's a funeral service at 1245 at Bay Pines. For those of you that are home, it'd be great to see some of you join around Ray this week at the, uh, the cemetery there, and show him love, and, and build him up, and spur him on in his time of loss. Uh, We've gotten to know their family a little bit over the last few months, and uh, it's, it's, a, it's a sad loss to see Ann go. But uh, I'll be there doing the funeral. I know Dick and Carolyn have connected with them pretty well, and uh, it'd be a great opportunity for us to, to gather around Ray in his time of loss and build him up and spur him on. Another example that I want to do of this, a very tangible example, is I'm going to call Amy Bordeaux to come up here. Amy, of course, is our local NYI president, and she was also in charge of everything that happened in our church yesterday, okay? So if you see any messes not cleaned up in a corner, you know where to wag your finger at. That's ironic, isn't it? (laughs) Come on up, Amy. Amy's going to tell you about our teenagers and how they competed in particular. Our entire district of Central Florida, which if you can imagine the state of Florida with me, extends from us across to Vero Beach up to just south of Daytona Beach, back across North Orlando over to about Spring Hill, and then back down the coast. That's about the size of our district. So all the Nazarene churches in there sent their teenagers to this place this weekend, and our teenagers competed against them and did remarkably well, wouldn't you say? This whole patch full of our teenagers winning. No. All right. <laughs> so she's going to tell you a little bit about uh, our teenagers and who, who competed and who advanced and how well they did. And so that you can be prepared, this is our chance to build them up to you to talk about how great they are. And hopefully you'll take your opportunity to go to them and build them up further. Thank you.
1: Thank um, you. Before I tell you who, who won everything, because um, that's really not what it's about. Um, we started Friday night down at Campbell Park, and Jing, um, who sits in the second service, lot well, of you probably know who he is, he spoke, and he spoke about Samson. And so we didn't start off with, you know, let's play a game, let's do a drama. You know, we started right off with... Um, you know, just telling the word of God. We passed out bracelets that said, play the game in his name. Um, then Friday night, we had football, flag football, dodgeball, basketball, and then Saturday, we started out here in the morning. All the sports were here. Oh, no, sorry. All the arts were here and all the sports were down at Campbell Park. And a lot of our church, not just our teenagers, really, really helped and participated in making this all flow very well. Um, and that, that just really shows you know, who our church is, that, that we can get together and just help everywhere that's needed. There were holes here and there, and someone always jumped in and filled them, so I wanna thank everybody. Our arts, which is what's near and dear to my heart, so I'm going to start there. Our puppets plays first place. Uh, That was Adrian Bordeaux, Megan Nolan, and Lauren Bugner. Our praise band plays second place, and I have to tell you about our praise band. Um, Other than Adrian, who just played for you guys for bass, everybody in our praise band has been playing for a little over a month, and we play second place. Um, Adrian played bass. Hannah Peterson played keyboard and sang vocals. Megan Nolan played the drums. Tori Meredith, the guitar, and Lauren Bugner was our lead vocals. And they sang How He Loves Us. And James Ludeman led them and taught them from the ground up. Never, Hannah had never touched a piano and played the song, amazing. Um, We also did a human video what that is is a mime set to music telling a story. Um, usually the story goes with the song. We won second place in that. I spent a couple weeks showing the video, video after video. and Like they just weren't interested in them. And I'm like, well, if we're gonna do this and you're not interested in what I'm showing you, make something up. And last Saturday night, Saturday before, they went to a concert um, called Winter Jam. And they heard a song and a story about how the song was, came up from Skillet. And the next Wednesday night practice, they said, we want to do that Skillet song. And we've got ideas. So they totally, from the ground up, made up a skit and won second place. And that was Adrian Bordeaux, Hannah, Sarah Palmer, Lauren Bugner, Tori Meredith, and Megan Nolan. Drama monologues, Lydia Hutchinson, one in our senior youth division, first place, and in our early youth division, Sarah Palmer. Um, early youth female solo, in third place, was Sarah Palmer. Um, oral oratory, early youth, Megan Allen. Megan Allen also competed in three arts categories, placed first place in pencil, and second and third in 3D art and mixed media. And that was all of our arts that we placed in. And like I said, a lot of them didn't take a lot of, you know, they took direction obviously, but they came up with this stuff on their own, which was really exciting. Our um, sports, our senior team flag football won first place. Our junior flag football, team did not place, but we did win two games. We have four people going to the All-Star Game. What they do is, even though the team wins first place, they choose the best from each team to make up a team that we take to TNU. Um, Daniel Lane, Jarvis Maynard, Dallas Poletti, and Kevin Hubbard. In basketball, uh, we have all-stars going for men for Forrest Johnson, volleyball Forrest Johnson, dodgeball Forrest Johnson and Daniel Lane. I watched dodgeball. That was really cool. I thought dodgeball was just this game you played in elementary school with little red balls. No. There's, a, there's rules. <laughs> we kept breaking them, but we didn't know what we were doing, but we had fun. Um, girls volleyball. We are sending five girls to the... Um, to Nashville as part of the all-star team, Lauren Towers, uh, Nicole, McKenzie, Bianca, and Amanda. And that team also won the championship locally. I don't have all the softball names. Tim gave them to me last night and I didn't write them down.
0: Uh, come on, you know the coach. How did you not get their names?
1: I did, you gave it to me and then I gave it to Lance. And... <laughs> Um, We do have a lot of kids going on the softball team. Maybe Tim will tell you who they are. Megan.
0: Megan, Hannah, uh, Tori, Daniel Lane. I think that's about it.
1: Okay. Yeah. So we have a lot of girls girls and boys. It's co-ed softball. And, And then last night here, after everything was done, at 6.30, we filled this church, standing room only. For, we had Neil from Clearwater First spoke. Once again, we started and ended, you know, on the same note of, you know, it's not about the winning. You know, we all like to win. But just to, to say, you know, this is why we did this. Um, and this is why we encourage our, our teenagers. And... We had our praise band from the church here played. Lance and Lamar, Lance, actually, Lance Courtney, Lamar's brother, actually organized the whole thing and it's, it's major to do something like this. And, and him and Lamar did a great job getting it all together. Um, people from the church who helped, Bob Daniels, Tom Schaefer, Larry Heckethorn drove the bus back and forth. Campbell Park's a little bit of a, a ways back and forth. Um, We had judges from our church, uh, Jesse Anderson, Bruce Bordeaux, Eric and Kayla were everywhere they needed to be. Eric was everywhere he needed to be, even when I didn't realize that there was a need at that moment. Uh, Alex, Tyler Davis, Pastor Tim, uh, Debbie Anderson. Down at Campbell Park, we had Jing Liu, Anthony Patterson, Corey Lee. We also had judges here, Wayne Hilburn, uh, Ed Jones administered the math exam. So There's a math exam, and I hear it was really, really hard. I was sitting in the hall, and one of the girls came out, and I go, how was it? She goes, there were logarithms and algorithms and circle problems. I was like, well, that's too much for me, you know. So we had a wonderful weekend, and, and it's just wonderful to be able to encourage the teenagers and give them something to do that's it's not outside, you know, it's in here and it's still what they enjoy doing. It's still playing football, it's still acting, it's still drama. And we are planning, because now that I've told you all these great things, you're probably going, oh, I wish I'd have seen that. So you're going to get an opportunity. We go to anybody who plays first place in any of the divisions, and then all the All Stars that I mentioned will be going to Nashville, Tennessee in April, the 12th, 13th, and 14th, for the district competitions. And that cost a little bit of money. So what we're doing is, in order for giving you a chance to, to help us and to get an opportunity to see all this, we're gonna be having a dinner. I don't have a date yet. Tim and I have to look at the calendar. And we're gonna have a dinner in which we're gonna have dinner, and then everybody who performed any arts, whether they won or not, will be performing for you. So, I'd appreciate if you could help us out there. Thanks.
0: It was an exciting day. It was just a really exciting day to see our kids. And of course, uh, Amy sort of alluded to it, but they were just such great sports about it all too. Friendly with each other, showing up to support one another. It was just an exciting day to see. How uh, our kids interacted with each other. The next thing I want to talk about, if we can refocus where we're at, is talking about discipleship in 2012. And we talked about not being a Pharisee, but spurring one on another in love, as the Scripture says in Hebrews. Part of that is knowing each other and listening to each other and hearing one another's stories. And, And the church is exists it exists so that we can come together in faith and support one another and build each other up and help each other grow well i heard a story just this morning that i was asked to get fit in so i'm trying my hardest to fit this into the sermon that i wrote okay so help me out here if the logic doesn't fit for you but i was told just this morning about a story that's been ongoing that we haven't really made majorly public, because uh, it could be understood as embarrassing, but the story's been told amongst the circles that uh, Ed walks in, and we've been praying for him and his situation as he's uh, been out of work for a few months now. And just today, just this morning, a prayer was answered, and Ed asked if he could come up and share Uh, What God has done for his life. So here comes Ed to tell about how connecting with people in the church and how listening ears within the church can help build each other up in our times of need.
2: So a little over a year ago, if you all remember, I think I've shared, I was faced with a question. When God broke me, have I abandoned my right to reputational success? Have I abandoned my right to financial success? Because I've had it. Well, I've not had to work as the pastor, and I've not said a lot. But the Lord helped me to stand up, be a servant of his, and be a, be a, do what I needed to do. And I called the car company, and they're going to come pick my car up tomorrow. Just I cannot continue making the payments. And that's tough, but you know what? It's all right. There's peace. Well, I'm going to tell you what. There's a couple in this church that have demonstrated being Christian. To Bob and Lois, thank you. I now have the perfect car, the perfect tires, the perfect engine, and it's straight from God. So just this morning, they're picking their car up tomorrow. I have one for tomorrow to take the place of it. Praise the Lord that this church is demonstrating what it means to help each other, to help disciple, to lead, and to be Christian. Amen.
0: I love have stories being told, and for the record, I know you know this, but it's Tom, not Bob. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I figure if we're going to give you credit, Tom, we ought to get your name right. It seems fair, doesn't it? Finally, I want to tell a story about discipleship in our world today. The world is going to a small group model. I know a lot of you know this. A lot of you have seen it. A lot of you have participated in it. We have a few exciting, very small, group, very exciting small groups happening around our church. Our Monday night prayer group that many of you are a part of. There's another Monday night group of uh, ladies who are newer to the faith that are growing together, and that's an exciting place in our church as well. And uh, Tuesday night is, a, uh, is an increasingly large group of young adults who are meeting at, uh, mostly at Eric and Kayla's house at this point. And uh, they've, been, they've been getting between 15 and 20 on a weekly basis. So why small group? Why small group? Well, small group teaches us to do these things in Hebrews chapter 10. Let us, uh, I'm just reading once again, let us consider how we may spur one, on, one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. It's hard to get to each face in a large gathering like this to encourage them. Many of you will leave today not knowing the name of the person sitting on the other side of the sanctuary, let alone knowing their story well enough to encourage them. A lot of you won't know the names of the person sitting four rows behind you, let alone enough to spur them on to places of love in their life. It's hard in big groups to really get to the essence of who it is you're dealing with in the sanctuary. So small groups is a way that the church has begun to sort of set people up so that they can know one another's stories and hold them accountable, build them up, spur them on towards love and not bitterness or anger within the church. Small groups also are accomplishing something very different on the other side of the world. Let me tell you about two countries and the differences that small groups make. Russia. Russia, we know from our lifetimes especially, what communism has done to that country. When communism began to rise in that country, the first place that the communist dictators began to attack was the church. The church in Russia was built around buildings and it was built around priests. Everything that the church did was about the man in charge in the building where they met. And the people who took over the country of Russia and began to implement communism were smart enough to recognize that. So they went to the buildings and they took over the buildings and they banned the priests from their parish. And what happened to the church in Russia? It crumbled. It collapsed. Without places to go, people had no idea what to do. Without pastors to make their decisions for them, they had no idea what to do. And the church has almost entirely evaporated from the nation of Russia. China. China had a similar situation. Communism begins to take charge. They begin to reign, and they've seen what happened in Russia. So they began to attack the church. In China, they had begun to build their church around the people of God. They had given them opportunity to worship in small groups. They had equipped leaders and disciplers from in their midst to take care of small groups. So the small groups would meet within the uh, context of the larger church. Leaders were built from within, The building was the place that they went to, but church happened in life together. So when the communist dictator comes to the churches and takes away the buildings and demands that they can no longer meet in public, the church in China doesn't even bat an eye. Because the church is the people. And they're trained and equipped to take care of one another. To live life, as Hebrews 10 says to spur one another on toward love and good deeds, to not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. They continued to meet together under the threat of death because they were trained that Christian life happened with one another. So these small groups that had begun to build within the church were the saving grace of Christianity in China. Oh, and by the way, Unlike Russia, when the churches were taken away in China, the churches begun to explode there. They did not see their faith as a building. They did not see the place where their Christianity happened as a sanctuary. They've begun to live dangerous Christian lives under the threat of death, continuing to meet together. But because the people had raised up to become disciples amongst themselves, the church has grown from a few hundred thousand to over two million people in China. And it continues to be the fastest-growing religion in China. And I'm telling you right now, you get caught being Christian in China, and you're dead. And yet people under that threat are seeing authenticity, and they're seeing Christianity in people in their neighborhood. And that authentic relationship with Jesus Christ that does not fear what the powers of this world can do it is causing more and more people to enter that radical faith in Jesus Christ than it is deterring people from faith. Russia, Christianity is wrapped up in a building. China, Christianity is wrapped up among relationship with one another and building each other up and spurring one another on. One place, Christianity is dead, and the other place, it's vibrant and it's growing. I don't know what the future is for the United States of America, but I do know from every history book that I've ever read that every superpower has an expiration date. No superpower that was a superpower 500 years ago is still a superpower today. No superpower that was a superpower 2,000 years ago is still a superpower today. I don't know why that is, and I'm not here to prophesy or anything that America is going to end soon. That's not what I'm saying. But if we continue to trust our government just to allow us to meet in these beautiful buildings... We may be caught off guard when the buildings are taken out from underneath us. Who knows if it'll happen or not? And hopefully, it does not happen in any of our lifetimes here. But let's ask our question. Let's ask it seriously. Where is our faith practiced? Is it wrapped up in this building? Do we practice our faith when we come to church? Do we rely on our pastors to hold us to our faith? Or are we living radical lives of Christianity in every place we go? Building one another up, caring for each other, spurring one another on to love and good deeds. Is our Christianity wrapped up in our lives or is it wrapped up in the church? Let me say this as a closing statement. I hear more and more in books that I read and speakers that I I watch that as a Christian, we should have three people in our lives, at least three people. One who is the one who disciples up us or our mentor, someone who's in front of us, someone we can look up to, someone that we can turn to and ask hard questions to and expect real answers for. All of us should have someone who is discipling us. The second one we should all have is a peer, a friend, an accountability partner, someone who's in a similar place for us that we can journey together in life, a prayer partner, a Bible study partner, whatever you want to call them, but a peer, someone who lifts you up and builds you up, someone who you can share your story with, someone who invades your life and gives you care and praise and kindness. And the third one that we should all have is someone coming behind us that we are discipling as well. If there was an earthquake underneath us this morning, where would you go next Sunday to be a Christian? If the government comes in 50 years and takes this building away, where's the next generation going to be Christian? Do we have networks of people set up so that we're prepared, so that we're ready? Are we preparing someone behind us and raising them up to be the next leader in the church? Are we spurring one another on towards love and good deeds? What is our faith really wrapped up in? What are the things that get us excited? What are the things that get us angry? What are the things that push us on? And what are the things that hold us back? Do we have good counsel in our lives? Do we have good friends in the faith? What is our Christianity wrapped up in? What is it wrapped up in? I love that story of China. I love that story of China, how the people of God were so ingrained in their faith, and they so shared it with one another, and they saw their life as intertwined in every person that they met. And so the church grew when calamity happened. are we the same type of Christians here in America? Are we the same type of Christians here in St. Petersburg? Is our life so wrapped up in others that if calamity happens, the church will be poised to grow? Let me ask you this another way. Who have you spurred on to love and good deeds in this last week? Can you name one person? that you've spurred on to love. Now I bet, okay, here's the hard part, all right? Don't don't throw the rotten tomatoes at me, okay? I bet many of us have been guilty of spurring one another on towards anger because we're anger and we dropped that on somebody else. But who have we spurred on towards love and good deeds this week? Have you had that kind of a Christian interaction with someone, anyone, that you've spurred them on towards love and good deeds? That you've encouraged them so much that they have good flowing out of them and happiness and joy and love? That you were so good to someone that they had to pass it on? I I know this. Whenever someone comes to me and pours all their anger out on me, I go home and I drop it off on my wife. And then she drops it off on our daughter. And then the change just keeps continuing. Right? Isn't that how it works? I've got crazy news for you. It works the same way the other way as well. If God has so done something powerful in you that you tell other people and you make their interactions with you good, they're going to turn around and treat the next person with dignity and love and kindness and spur them on. You see, we have gotten so caught up in sin owning us that we just assume that being around sin causes others to sin. True. But we no longer see love and holiness as as contagious as anger and bitterness is. Who have we spurred on towards love and good deeds this week? When people talk about you, do they talk about your anger or do they talk about your love? When people talk about you, do they talk about your gossip or do they talk about the way you're building people up? What kind of a Christian are you? Are you one who is building the kingdom? If you're not building the kingdom, you're tearing it down. There's no in-between. Who have you spurred on towards love and good deeds this week? In 2012, the most common way that this is happening is joining small groups. Getting to know people intimately, building them up, and spurring each other on towards faith. I believe you will see in the very near future that we will, in this church, really ratchet up a small group plan and not just options. But we're not building up small groups to do it because other churches are doing it, okay? That's not the idea. We haven't read a book and said, hey, small groups are a good idea because Saddleback is doing small groups, okay? but what we're trying to do here is very much this victory church the nazarene does not exist to make you happy it does not exist to make you comfortable victory church the nazarene exists to create disciples of jesus christ and i'm absolutely convinced that being a disciple of jesus christ does not always mean that you're happy and comfortable But but we're not making disciples of Jesus Christ in our church right now. We're not doing it. Not quite. Not, hear me, we're not intentionally doing that. We're not intentionally doing that. We are throwing a whole bunch of options up in the air and hoping people grab onto one of them and become a disciple of Jesus Christ. But we're not as leaders and parishioners and members of this place grabbing a hold of lives near us and spurring them on towards loving good deeds with intention and purpose. And that's who the Bible calls us to be. Let me remind you in closing that Jesus comes to this earth, is baptized, the Spirit pours out upon him, He begins his vocation as Messiah. And he chooses 12 from amongst a million people in Israel. And he pours his entire life into them. Now he has time to stop the bleeding woman. He has time to raise a boy from the dead. He has time to heal disease and to hug children. But he pours his life into 12. And what do those 12 go on to do? Those 12 pour their lives into others. And the church multiplies through intentional discipleship. No longer in 2012 does the church grow by putting out the biggest sign on the street and having the greatest program. The church grows in depth and in width by people of God hearing God's call and investing their life in one another building them up in the faith and turning them loose into the world to choose theirs as well let us let us hear the call of god this morning to be disciplers to spur others on towards love and good deeds and i encourage you today with all of my heart and with all that i can i encourage you to name people's names who you have taken on as your own to disciple. Don't just assume they're going to come your way, but ask God to lay names on your heart. May they be young Christians, may they be absolute heathens, but who has God called you to disciple? Write them on a piece of paper, know who they are, And pour your life into them so that you may spur them on toward love and good deeds. I'd ask if you would stand this morning. We've run over because I've talked a lot. but We're going to say a word of prayer. We're going to say it in quiet this morning. As we say it in quiet, I I ask that that we just leave the room quiet and I'll end us in prayer but just ask God to speak to you today are you filling people with anger and bitterness or are you filling them with love are there people around you filling you with anger and bitterness or have you surrounded yourself with people who are filling you with love Finally, ask yourself this in absolute self examination Who is God calling you to pour your life into? Hear the voice of God in just a moment of silence before we say a closing prayer. Lord, we see how you discipled 12. We see how the people who immediately followed you and wrote great books like Hebrews remind us to be people who disciple, people who spur on love and good deeds in others. Lord, we confess that all too often we're filled with anger. We're filled with suspicion. When you've given us more than enough to be filled with love, God, we ask this morning that you teach us once more to be a people of love. For Lord, when we read your stories in the Gospels, we see clearly that you were the very essence of love and our desire is to be just like you. Teach us, O oh God, to follow in your footsteps. Teach us to be disciples, and not just church attenders. Teach us also, God, to be disciples, ones who are ready to follow those who are further than us in the faith, and to follow your lead as well. Oh God, we want to be transformed in your image. We want to look just like you. We want people to know when they meet us that you've done something special in our lives. May we not be people... May I not be a person who gives lip service to you, but may I be open, may we be open to your constant transformation so that every day we resemble you more and more. In your holy name we pray, amen. You are dismissed. Go from this place and give your life away.